Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. Mark chapter 13. If you have a Bible, open it with me to Mark chapter 13. So this week, I was walking in downtown Conway, walking to our offices. It was about 8 o'clock in the morning. You know, not a lot of people are out in downtown Conway at 8 o'clock in the morning. And as I'm walking, I look up, and across the street, there's a man dressed head to toe exactly like Michael Myers. Um, You know what I'm talking about the guy from the movies, the scary movies, right? Not a good dude. And so he's standing there. I mean, he's got the blue jumpsuit, the white mask. He's got it all going on, and he's just staring at me. And I'm like, this is weird. You know, it's 8 in the morning. I'm not ready for this. And, uh, you know, there's a piece of me that's going, I know that's not the real Michael Myers, but what if, you know? Or what if he's just a big fan, (laughs) right? What if he's just somebody who's a big fan? I don't want to be by that guy. Well, um, the light turns green. He starts to cross the street. He's coming right at me. And so I'm getting nervous, um, but I'm trying to play it cool, you know? And so he gets close to me and I go, sup? And he goes, sup? And I was like, all right, we're good, you know? Um, that's not even the craziest thing I saw that day. I saw a full grown man dressed as a hot dog, same day. So wild day. Now, obviously context matters, right? And you're putting it together, that was Halloween. I don't know how many hot dogs you saw on Halloween, but it seems like that one made a big comeback this year, right? There's a lot of hot dogs on Halloween. But in this day and age, nothing shocks you, right? Whatever you see, it doesn't shock you because this world is crazy. Like, can we just acknowledge that our world has gone insane? Um, Like, the things that we've lived through over the past few years are like things out of movies, like apocalyptic type movies that never end well. Like just a few years ago, our whole world shut down because of a virus. You remember that? I'm sure you do. We lived through it, right? That's crazy. That's something in a movie, right? Um, Then you've got AI that's taken over, artificial intelligence. That's a whole deal, like computers getting smarter than humans. That never ends well in the movies, right? And then you've got all these wars that are happening with Ukraine and Russia and Israel and Hamas. And it just creates a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. In fact, statistics show us that anxiety is at an all-time high right now because everywhere you look, there's catastrophe and there's disaster, isn't there, right? And so it leaves us sitting here wondering, like, what is going on? I've been asked, is this it? Like, is the world ending? Are we at the end? Jesus said it was going to get crazy towards the end, and it sure seems crazy. So are we there? Is this Is this the end? And so we have those questions, we have those fears. And the thing about it is, so did the disciples. They had the same questions. What's happening in this crazy world? So in Mark chapter 13, it is um, one of the most difficult passages uh, in for sure the book of Mark to understand, but maybe in the whole New Testament. And Christians who love the Lord, love the word of God, have debated for centuries what Mark chapter 13 is really saying, right? And it just depends on how you grew up and all that probably depends on how you interpret it. Uh, But this is a difficult passage. This week I was getting text messages from small group leaders going, what do we do with Mark chapter 13, right? And so if you've read it, maybe you've you've thought the the same thing. 
But in this text, like if I could just kind of summarize it for you, what's happening here is Jesus is talking to his closest friends on the side of a mountain, and he's trying to tell them how they are to live in this in-between period. This in-between period, there's a word for it, it's called the inter-advent period, that just means we're living in a period between the two comings of Christ, right? He came once as a baby that he humbled himself, he's fully God and he came God in the flesh, the incarnation of God. Uh, He came, he humbled himself, he took on the form of a servant. In fact, I think the thesis verse of the book of Mark is Mark 10, 45, that says that the Son of Man didn't come to uh, be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus came as a servant the first time. He lived a perfect life, he died, he rose from the dead, He ascended into heaven, and then he promises us that he's going to come again. And so this period that you and I live in right now is this inter-advent period, this in-between. And this text is trying to say, how do you live in this period? What do we do? How do we live in this time between the two comings of Christ, right? And so the the thing that Mark chapter 13 um, is doing, or, or it's not doing, is it's not trying to tell you when Jesus is coming, That's not what Mark 13's doing. What it is doing though, is it's showing us what now? What are you and I supposed to do now? And so that's what we're gonna look at. Before we do, I'd love for us to pray and ask the Lord to speak to us. And so I'm gonna pray for all of us and you take a second just to pray for yourself. Ask the Lord to speak to you in this moment. Let's all pray. God, we, uh, we thank you just for a time together to worship you and to come together as a church family. Now, Lord, as we open your word, I pray that you would speak to us through your word and through your spirit, would you illuminate this text, help us to understand it the best way that we can, and help us to follow you boldly as we leave this place today. We love you, and we're listening. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 13. We're going to just look at the end of chapter 13. I'll go back in just a second and try and help us fill in some gaps and see what's happening. But start in verse 32 with me. Jesus gives kind of this parable at the end of Mark chapter 13 to help us understand everything that he is teaching. So verse 32, chapter 13. Jesus says, Now concerning that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Watch, be alert, for you don't know when the time is coming. It's like a man on a journey who left his house, gave authority to his servants, gave each one his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to be alert. Therefore, be alert, since you don't know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight or at the crowing of the rooster or early in the morning. Otherwise, when he comes suddenly, he might find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to everyone, be alert. All right, so in this, in this chapter, again, confusing chapter, and so what is it talking about? It starts in verse 32 by saying, now concerning that day, what does that mean, right? What day is he talking about? Well, just as my story about seeing Michael Myers in downtown Conway, context matters, right? Context matters. And so if you were to back up verses one and two of chapter 13, What happens is Jesus and the boys, as I like to call them, the disciples, they're leaving Jerusalem and they walk by the temple, right? If you're with us a couple weeks ago, we did a a talk on on Jesus overturning the tables in the temple and all that. They're now walking by this this temple and, uh, and they're like, wow, Jesus, look how beautiful this temple is. 
And you gotta understand, like the temple in this day, like don't picture a little church building or something like that. This place was massive. I was reading, it's like 500 yards deep and 300 yards wide. It's covered in gold. Like as you're approaching the city, you could see it. It shines like like snow-capped mountains is what people say. So the temple is like, it's the premier spot in all of Jerusalem, culturally, religiously, everything. So they walk by and they they go, how beautiful it is, Jesus. And Jesus goes, yeah, it's all coming down, (laughs) right? It's all gonna come down. So they leave Jerusalem, Verse three and four, they set down on the side of the Mount of Olives, which overlooks Jerusalem. Andrew, Peter, James, and John are sitting there with Jesus. And they go, all right, you're gonna have to tell us more about this temple thing, right? In verse four, they say, tell us when this is gonna happen and what is the sign that it's happening? And so in their minds, they're shocked. Wait, this, this temple that we're seeing, that we're looking at right there, that's so beautiful, it's coming down. And so Jesus begins to answer their question of when it's gonna happen in a very Jesus-y way where he says a lot of things and it's kind of confusing a little bit. And, and what he does is essentially in the first section, verses five through 13, he speaks pretty generally about what life is gonna be like for them. In verses 14 through, I think it's 23, uh, he starts to speak more specifically about their question about the temple. And then in verse 24 through 27, he speaks about the distant future about his return. So in verses five through 13, he's speaking generally about all the things that they're going to experience. And essentially this is what he says in that section, things are gonna get worse before they get better. That's encouraging, isn't it? Things are gonna get worse before they get better. Now you gotta remember, these people, the disciples and all of Jewish culture, they thought that the Messiah, the one that scripture had taught about was coming to make their life easier. They thought the Messiah was gonna come in, set up shop, overthrow Rome, overthrow all their oppressors, make Israel great again, right? They didn't understand what Jesus actually came to do. That's the reason three times before this text, Jesus tells them explicitly, I'm going to Jerusalem, they're gonna kill me and I'm gonna raise from the dead. And all three times the disciples just don't get it, right? They can't comprehend. And so what Jesus is trying to do in this moment, sitting on the mountain with his friends, is he's trying to lovingly correct their false ideas. He's saying, look, it's gonna get worse before it gets better. And you and I experience that as well, don't we? We know that this world is crazy. A lot of the things you see there in that section you've experienced, right? And then in verses 14 through 23, Jesus speaks specifically about the temple. How do I know? Well, he mentions in verse 14, this thing called the abomination of desolation. What that is, is that is a reference from Daniel chapter nine, chapter 11, where um, Daniel is looking forward to a day. He's prophesying about a day that happened in 167 BC that they called the desolation or the abomination of desolation whenever someone came in and desecrated the temple. So it happened. So whenever Mark is saying this, these readers, these listeners are looking back to what happened in 167 BC And essentially what Jesus is saying is, that's going to happen again. The temple's gonna be desecrated, right? It's gonna happen again. And when you see it, he says in this section, you need to get out of Jerusalem. You need to flee. It's gonna get bad. You need to pray that it doesn't happen in the winter because you're gonna flee and you can't even come back and get a coat. So pray that it doesn't happen in the winter, right? That's That's what he's saying. And the thing about it is, Jesus is right. The temple was 
destroyed in AD 70 by Rome. Rome comes in, they declare war, they desecrate the temple, they go in, they offer sacrifices to idols and all that, and then they destroy the place. That's why if you go to Jerusalem today, there's no, there's no temple, meaning this stuff has already happened, right? That stuff has happened. So some will say, and they'll read this section and go, all right, um, well, this, this section has to have some kind of double meaning because it's also talking about some future day, and maybe so, but it's at least talking about the temple, right? So we're not sitting here and waiting for all of this to start. So the big question everybody has whenever it comes to end time stuff is, are we living in the last days? And the answer is yes. And we have been for the last 2,000 years, right? So in the context, he's talking about the temple's destruction and the fact that their lives are about to get harder And then in the next section, verses 24 through 27, he begins to comfort his friends, who he's just told all this stuff to, by promising them that he's going to return. That's what he says, that he's going to return and he's going to gather his people. And so in our text that we read a second ago, verse 32, and it says, says, uh, now concerning that day, that's the day that he's talking about, the day that Jesus returns. Look at verse 26. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power, and glory, he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. That's the day verse 32 is talking about. And I think the big question that you and I have whenever it comes to this kind of stuff is, okay, when's that gonna happen? When's Jesus going to return? What people really wanna know when they ask, are we in the last days, is they're asking, are we in the last days of the last days? And here's how Jesus answers. No one knows. (laughs) That's helpful, isn't it? No one knows, that's, that's what he says. So here's some good news. If, if you're confused about end times stuff and debates and sequences and all that, you're in good company because Jesus says, no one knows and that no one means everyone, right? No one knows. And Jesus even says, not only that, kind of takes it up a notch, he says, not even the angels know when the return of Jesus is gonna happen. I like this quote by Calvin, it says, It would be proof of excessive pride and wicked covetousness to desire that we who creep on the earth, don't you love that old-timey type of language, that we who creep on the earth should know more than is permitted to the angels in heaven. Jesus is saying no one knows, not even the angels, and then he adds, by the way, I don't even know when. Keep in mind, Jesus is fully God and fully man. Here he's speaking from his humanity going, I'm identifying with my friends, I don't even know when this is happening. Now, even though Jesus clearly says this, you and I both know that people forever have been trying to say that they know when Jesus is coming back, haven't they? There've been books written about it. There've been conferences that have been held. There's even been movies made about it. If you grew up a church kid in the 90s and early 2000s like I did, you're still scarred from the Left Behind series, aren't you? I think that idea or that imagery, it made every Christian boy pray a prayer, say, God, I know you're coming back, but can you just wait till after my honeymoon, right? (laughs) We've all prayed that. So for centuries, people have been trying to guess when, when Jesus is going to return. Here's a few examples. In 500 AD, this guy named Hippolytus, which that's a killer name, right? Hippolytus of Rome, he used the dimensions of Noah's Ark to say that Jesus was gonna return that year. 
The Jehovah's Witnesses have predicted nine different years that Jesus would return. The last one was 1984. This guy named Edgar Wisenant published a book in 1988 called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988, right? And you're gonna love this. He followed it up the next year with a sequel called 89 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1989. I was talking to somebody after the first service and they're like, I remember when that happened. People were like maxing out their credit cards and stuff like that because old uh, Edgar said that Jesus was coming back and he had two books to, to prove it. There've been countless things like this that have happened, right? There's been countless others of people who have tried to say when Jesus is going to return. And as humbly as I can say it, if you are buying into predictions of when Jesus is gonna come back and you're listening to that kind of stuff and you're super into it, I want to lovingly just say you need to stop. It's unhealthy for you. It's, un it's unhealthy. Like if Jesus says that he doesn't know, then some dude with a blog post or a YouTube channel certainly doesn't, right? And just newsflash, you're not gonna leave here today knowing when Jesus is coming back either in case I haven't been explicitly clear. Because that's not the point. That's not why Jesus says all this in Mark chapter 13 for us to guess of when Jesus is coming back. The point here of him sitting on the mountain with his friends is not to tell them when he'll return, but that he'll return. And that's, that's the point. So this isn't a call to contemplation. Like, look, studying end time stuff and, and trying to figure out your view on what scripture is saying and, and sequence of events and all that, that is good. But some people take it way too far and they end up treating the Bible like it's the Da Vinci Code or some kind of book of riddles and they're just trying to piece together numbers and make things add up and they're trying to crack the code. But listen, Jesus didn't intend to confuse us. He didn't drop a bunch of crumbs along the way and say, now good luck figuring it all out. That's not how Jesus operates. In fact, the author of confusion is what we call the other guy, right? Jesus is known as the truth. And so this is not some book of riddles to figure out when Jesus is coming back. So it's not a call to contemplation. This is a call to action. And that's Jesus's point here. He gives us two actions that we are to do as we, as we wait. First, be watching. Be watching. That's what he says in verse 33. He says, watch, be alert. In fact, he says, be alert four times in these, these few little verses here. He says, watch, be alert, for you don't know when the time is coming. So if, you, if I could just reverse that, that verse for us, that just said, because you don't know, be watching. Because you don't know, be watching. So again, remember the context. Jesus is sitting on the side of the mountain with his buddies, with his friends, and he's comforting them and he's correcting his friends. And he says things, like in verse seven, he says, don't be alarmed. Verse 11, he says, don't, don't worry. That's the point of everything Jesus is doing here. He doesn't want them to be afraid of what's to come. So why is he saying, don't worry, don't be alarmed? Why is he saying that? Because you and I do that. Like when we face difficult things or we face uh, uncertainty in our world or things that we don't know how to answer or we're unsure of what the future holds, it makes us a little bit fearful, doesn't it? Makes us afraid. And what happens is we end up forgetting the promises of God, the goodness of God, and we just focus on whatever difficulty or tragedy is right in front of us and fear begins to set in. And when fear sets in, not a lot of good starts to happen in our lives. We become angry, 
and cranky and bitter, mean. We begin to become untrusting of everything around us. And, and the stuff that Jesus is saying here is meant to combat all of that. He's saying, don't worry. Don't be deceived, right? Don't be alarmed. So he, he's trying to combat fear and create anticipation. That's what he's doing. Be watching in anticipation. This is like going on a, on a long road trip with your family, right? And, and, and the whole family's excited. Maybe you're going to the beach. Let's just say that. You're going to the beach and you're driving and it feels like forever. And the whole family, everybody's excited and the kids are in the backseat. When, when are we gonna be there? Are we there yet? And you're like, no, we're not there yet, but I know that we're gonna be there soon. You know, like it's coming. I know that the beach exists. And then you come around a curve and you see it, right? It, it, it's, I knew it was coming and, and here it is. It's that sense of anticipation that you're waiting on. And, and that's what Jesus is trying to get his, his friends to see. It's this, you're watching in anticipation that, that we have this promise from Jesus in verses 24 through 27 that he is coming back and he's gonna gather his followers. He's gonna gather his church with them. And we can trust that and we can know that that is true, why? Because he's already told us he was coming once and he did it. He told us he was gonna go to a cross and die for your sins and he did it. And then he told us he was gonna rise from the dead and he did. So whenever he says in verse 24 that the Son of Man is gonna come in clouds with great power and glory, you better believe that he will. It's happening. So we don't watch everything that's happening around us in fear. We don't just sit in fear of what's happening or what's to come. We watch in anticipation of seeing our Savior face to face. So this is a call to action. We're, we're to be, be watching. And secondly, we're to be working. Be working. Can I tell you why I believe the main reason the Bible doesn't give us a specific date and time of when Jesus is gonna come back? because I think it would make us lazy, right? I think we would just sit back and say, if Jesus is coming back next August, then I'll start getting to work in June, right? It's like if you, if college students, you know, you have, a, you have a paper that's due, a big paper, a big assignment that's due in a couple of months. Are you working on it today? <laughs> no, you're not, and I'm not either, right? I'm right there with you. If there's a due date, that means that's when you do it, you know? <laughs> and so that's, that's reason why I think he doesn't give us a date. We're not meant to approach this whole thing for Jesus in that kind of way. He has given us a job. And we're to be up and active. Verse 36 says, you don't want him to come back and find you asleep. Right? Up and active, not asleep. Can I be your friend just for a second? I think some of us have been lulled to sleep. I think some of us are just okay with just kind of laying around dozing off, letting somebody else do the work, acting like the great commission is for somebody else. And we've been lulled to sleep. And the call of, the, the call of this passage is, is saying he's coming back, so get to work. Right before Jesus left the earth, um, remember what he did? He told his disciples, he, he said, I've got something for you to do, right? This is the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, Jesus has risen from the dead and then he gathers his disciples and he says, here's what I want you to do. And he says, Matthew 28, verse 18, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given 
to me. So listen, it doesn't really matter what he says next. You got to do it, right? If all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him, we listen. And here's what he tells us to do. Go make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And remember this, like don't forget this big part. I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. I'm with you until I come back, right? You got a job to do. Remember what he said in Acts chapter one? Again, this is right before Jesus like ascends into heaven. Acts 1.8, he says, you're gonna receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Look back in this passage in verse uh, 34. Jesus says, this is like a man going on a journey who left his house, gave authority to his servants, gave each one his work and commanded the doorkeeper to be alert. In Acts 1.8, Jesus says, you're gonna receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Christian, you need to know that, that that giving of the Holy Spirit is this authority that he's talking about. You have the authority and the power to do the job he's given you. You're gonna receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You're gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. That's the assignment. And then right after Jesus said that, he like ascended up into heaven. Acts chapter one, verses nine through 11. You remember what happens there? It says that the disciples are just standing there, just kind of looking up, like what just happened? And then it tells us that two angels are standing right there with him. You remember what they said? Uh, what, are you, what are you doing? What are you looking at? What are you waiting for? Get to work. And that's what they do. They, they start preaching the gospel. Thousands of people come to know Jesus in one day. The church is born. The gospel begins to spread like wildfire. And 2,000 years later, here we sit with the same job, the same purpose, the same mission that he's given to them. Most evenings, um, my wife, Abby, and I, we go on a walk. Uh, we say it's to walk the dog, but really I think it's to get out of the house. We have three little kids, and this is like our only time in the day to talk, you know? And so we'll go on a walk, and we'll kind of just decompress and analyze the day and talk about, talk about all kinds of things. But we always leave the kids at the house. And don't worry, we lock the door, right? We lock the door and, you know, throw some food on the floor, and they're fine. <laughs> But we, we walk around the neighborhood and we leave them there. And what we found is if we don't give them anything to do, they end up fighting with each other. They'll get into something they're not supposed to get into. Uh, they'll sit in front of the TV and just melt their brains, right? And so what we've started to do is, is before we leave, we give them an assignment, a task, a job. Usually it's clean something, right? Clean this up, it, which is awesome because we're, you know, they're, they're not getting in trouble that way. They're learning life lessons and my house gets clean. It's a win-win for everybody. And as we leave, every time, as we're walking out the door, I always say, y'all get busy, we'll be back. And I think that's what Jesus is saying here. Get busy, I'm coming, I'm coming back. Listen, you need to know, Jesus is coming back. When? No idea, no idea. But the last thing that the Bible tells us in the, in the last page in the book of Revelation in red letters, Jesus says, yes, I am coming soon. That's the promise, that's the truth, that's the hope that we hold on to and we watch in anticipation as, as we know that one day he's coming back. 
And the point of this talk on the side of the mountain with his friends is Jesus is saying, be ready. Be watching and be working, be ready. So I want us to just wrestle with this question, every single person. Are you ready for the return of Christ? Like, are you ready? Maybe you're somebody and you don't know Jesus, you've never trusted him for your salvation, and maybe you're, maybe you're kind of wrestling with this whole thing, and kind of weighing out what you really believe about Jesus, or maybe you just happen to find your way into church today and this is your first time with us, and you don't know the Lord I need you to know that Christ is returning. And this period that we sit in right now, this inter-advent period, is a period of grace. That's what 2 Peter chapter 3 talks about. It says this, that the Lord does not delay his promise, his promise of coming again. He's not just delaying in this. The, the reason why is because he is patient with you. That's why Jesus hasn't come back yet. He is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. This period that we set in right now is, is the grace of God. Because you have a deep need to repent of your sin and turn to Jesus. Scripture's clear that your sin has caused a irreversible problem in your soul. Your sin separates you from a holy God. And so what happened is Jesus, God, puts on skin and bone and comes to this earth on the greatest rescue mission this world has ever seen. He comes as God in the flesh, Emmanuel. That was the first time that he came. He lived a life that you and I could never live. He was perfect, he was sinless. They crucified him. He was killed for your sin and mine. They put him in a tomb because he was dead, but three days later he came bursting out of the tomb alive, and when he did, he proves that he is God, and he proves he has power over sin and death forever. And what scripture says is this period that we sit in is a period of grace for you to trust him as your savior, to repent of your sin, recognize your need for a savior, and trust him alone for your salvation. And if you do that, this morning, scripture says you'll be saved. And the next time that Jesus comes, I just need you to know that that waiting period that we're in right now will be up. And so if you're thinking, I need to get some stuff figured out in my life before I come to Jesus, I'll do it one of these days, or I wanna go to college first and really live it up or something like that, I'm telling you, you're playing with fire. That's a dangerous game. Jesus is coming soon. Today is the day of your salvation. So you need to wrestle with that. Are you ready for Jesus to return? But then secondly, I wanna talk to Christians like you know that you're a believer, you've placed your, your faith in him. Let me ask you, are you ready for Jesus to return? Like if we could just pretend for just a second that we knew that Jesus is gonna return tomorrow. Like he's coming back at lunch tomorrow. And I know that we just spent the last 30 minutes talking about how we don't know when he's coming. So we're just pretending that Jesus is coming back tomorrow. Let me ask you, what would be different in your life today? What would you do differently if you knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow? Here's, what, here's the way I hope every single one of you could answer. Nothing would change. I'd live tomorrow just like I lived yesterday. 
I'd be loving people the way that scripture says to love them. I'd be generous with my resources and my, my giftings. I'd be serving others. I'd be sharing the gospel with my neighbors just like I always have been. I'd be, I'd be building up the church with my words and my actions. Like nothing would change if Jesus were to come back tomorrow. Can I be honest with you? I think a lot of people want to know when Jesus is coming back so that they could start doing all of the things they're already supposed to be doing. And I'm telling you, it's today. Are you ready for Jesus to return? Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.